This is a strategist episode 1071. My name is Zane Velge. With me, as always, Corey Hogan. Why'd you lose, Zane? Why'd you lose? <sighs> Zane, why'd Come you on, lose? Zane, answer the question. Answer the question. Do you want to know the real, the real answer? Yeah. Welcome back, Zane. Why'd you lose? Lose. We underestimated the Alberta party. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know what to tell you. I thought, listen, if they didn't have Greg Clark or myself as leader, that it just wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah, that's and it fair. went somewhere, man. It went somewhere. You know that's a, that's it went to, I don't know what it went to. I wish I had the number in front of me so I could say it went It's to. not a big number, Zane. It's <laughs> yeah, not a big number. Yeah. And uh, you know we 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 spent too much we spent both not enough and too much attention on the Alberta Party Corey. Yeah. That is what ended up happening. Okay, well that all tracks for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know okay, what? That's good. a really like, good answer, Zane. Better work. than I expected. Thank you. <laughs> Great episode. <laughs> what went so wrong? What went so wrong with the Alberta Party? Um, I heard you last episode. I think it was one of you. Um, you know, all the white commentators out there that just all merged together. So I don't know which one of you. Yeah, was. that's fair. fair that's, yeah. yeah. Um, that said, uh, is a rock dead? Is that you, Corey? That sounds like Corey. Is <laughs> yeah, that was good. Me. Yeah, pretty good. Um, <laughs> is 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 the fact that the Alberta party um, has become absolutely uh, a, a meme. Uh, and I think it has more meme value currently and is being sold for parts online. <laughs> rather than actually being a political party. Do you feel like Carter, after 10 years, it's finally fulfilled its destiny end to end, uh, trying to, it's almost like this 10 year office style mockumentary that finally had its final season where it, it was sold for parts to the Twitterverse. Oh no, it's going to keep going. I mean, if the, uh, if we can- Just like the office, we, it doesn't know when to quit. Exactly. Uh, if we can keep the Alberta Liberal Party, surely we can keep the uh, the Alberta Party. I mean, both of them. Uh, are still around. It's it's quite staggering. Uh, listen, I am back. I can talk about Alberta politics, but who wants to look in the rear? Uh, we look, do. Yeah. I mean, why? We do. Why? Why? Yeah. Do you actually want to look? At, you I guys did multiple, multiple episodes. Multiple episodes. Done with you. Stop. Trying to, and you're special. Trying to, yeah. trying to digest the, the, the election. I feel like you got some good points in there. That's all I'll say. I feel like you got some good insights in there. I did like your segment. I don't know if this was a Patreon episode. I, I had a lot of time while I was in Toronto. A lot of walking in that city uh, that one has to do. Um, well, because if you take the TTC, you will be stabbed. That's yeah. right here. Yeah. It is not great. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's fine. I'm being facetious. Yeah, it's not that dangerous. Are you, you sounded extremely serious until take you... Take the bus. Until you realized what you said. Yeah, that was a very Carter-like moment for you, Corey. Um, <laughs> a lot of walking. A lot of walking. You're just liabilities just flash in front of your eyes. Uh, and I heard that episode you guys did last time. I like the one where you guys talked about advice that you'd given to each of the NDP and the UCP and what was wrong. Uh, like usual, Carter... Uh, really blew the segment up, and the conclusion was <laughs> you guys were perfect. There was nothing you said that was wrong. Hey, spoilers for people who yeah, haven't I mean, listened to episode ten seventy. Ten seventy was okay. A well, there you go. The, it, let me just spoil it. The podcast sticks to brand. Oh, there you go. Oh. <laughs> Fucking great. <laughs> um, I, I will talk about the provincial election. I'll talk about it maybe later. But I do want to talk. I, I will have a big segment on this episode where I talk about uh, what happens with Danielle Smith going forward. That is the most fascinating. Oh, my oh. God. Are we still doing this yes. thing where you're pretending the NDP doesn't exist? Oh, is this, is... Like, no, no. Really, we you're really easing out of this election coverage oh. here, Zay. Yeah. I'm not. How much are you going to milk this for? The story uh. is Danielle Smith right now. I want to talk <laughs> about it. But the story even more than that is one guy named David Johnson. Let's go to our first segment. Our first segment, Mr. Johnson goes to wash his reputation. Corey. That's nice. That's good. You get it? 
Yeah. The, Mr. Generic white name goes to, and then don't finish Washington, but go with wash your reputation. That yeah. was the that was, was the construction. Really this is what we anyone... missed, eh? This is what we you missed. Have you missed it? Annalise yeah. just yeah. does you, topics, you, and she doesn't try. She doesn't even try and do jokes and fail. So this is <laughs> she's she's mailing it Corey in. And, she's mailing Corey it and in. I were doing like jokes and failing all by ourselves, and this is so much nicer to have you back. Yeah. Oh, is it, yeah, is it to, is it nicer to have me kind of? Although I did well, take the, the lowest set, common denominator. You set the floor, Zane, and then that that makes the ceiling look closer. Can we talk about this, dude? I, I don't even think we've talked about David Johnson coming out and saying, "I have done the shit," and the shit says we're not doing a public inquiry. Have we yeah. talked about yeah. that? No, we haven't. Because, we were shocked. Okay, we have not talked about that. We have not talked about the response uh, from the conservatives. We have not talked about the lack of response to the liberals. But I want to start here. David Johnston has actually hired Navigator. Mm-hmm. His office is confirmed on Friday. In an email to CTV News, his spokesperson said the special rapporteur hmm. has hired uh, Navigator. Uh, when when we kind of get further into the the uh, understanding of what we call in the consulting biz the scope, Stephen Carter, we call it the scope. Uh, we're under, we're realizing that they're they're helping him with support as related to speeches, media appearances, uh, you know, uh, helping him with social media analysis and drafting communications materials like press releases. Let's start here before we actually get to his conclusion because I think this is really interesting. The, the over the top line on his conclusion is that there was not a public inquiry. We're not going to yeah. do one. I'm the special rapporteur. Everyone said that there was a a, a crisis of credibility that he was facing mm-hmm. he had to call the public inquiry he said a, a public inquiry would be wholly unsatisfying canadian public so i'm not going to do one instead i'm going to do this panel and this traveling circus show to kind of examine what happens um but he doesn't call one yeah. and then carter he's now calling navigator to to help him and assist him talk to me about the hiring of navigator first and then i actually want to go to the issues uh, interestingly i just rebranded my company from decide campaigns to decide ca- uh, crisis campaigns um when your crisis communication strategy needs a crisis communication strategy so we're going to pick up all the people who hire navigator oh, and do their you know do the crisis communications for the crisis communications firm it's going to be fantastic it's okay. really smart I'm gonna, you're like one of the little fish that sucks on the other fish yeah i'm going to make a fortune i'm going to make a fortune <laughs> um uh, Corey, just, take, just announced a new firm which is uh whatever carter misses and if you've heard the pod he misses a lot oh, uh, we will pick up that's <laughs> we'll pick up so upsetting and we will help your uh crisis strategy Corey. i'm going to you i had a yeah I, um okay yeah, no, you, you, no. Initial comments. We'll come okay, back to you, Carter. You, I know you've got. So you just you took my little joke. Didn't like my joke. That, that was, was enough. I took, I took the joke as the response. You, that was yes, the end I of, did. Corey, okay. go ahead. Yes. Look, it's obviously not a great idea to hire a crisis communications company whose slogan is "When you can't afford to lose," when you are trying to look like a nonpartisan representative who is trying to balance things equally. Like, I, I mean, this is my, fundamentally my problem. He has hired a crisis communications firm, well known, and has built a brand and curates a brand and fosters a brand for trying to win. And that's just the wrong energy you need to bring to something like this, where you're the yeah. special rapporteur. We're like, what is winning here? What is winning for you, David Johnston? That's the question that I think Canadians are seized with when they hear that you are trying to hire Navigator. Because, yes, well, I think that there is communications needs for any kind of job like this. Hiring Navigator and hiring Navigator with the brand that Navigator carries, 
I, I mean, hopefully Navigator's first piece of advice was you probably shouldn't have hired Navigator, but here we are with the contract and now let's try to do better going forward because it carries a bit of a charge that you are now going to have to deal with for however long this clown car continues to drive down the road. It's a, actually a really excellent point. You know, we, since we're so intimately familiar with Navigator, that, that part really didn't even stick out to me. That in the general public's eye, if they know anything beyond Gian Gomeshi and Peter Slowly and Hockey Canada, is that like, they kind of have this binary win-loss positioning, yeah. which is which is fine and perhaps confident in like the political world or those binary situations where win and lose to your point, Corey is very clear that there's a charge against you, that there's a crisis where you got to kind of come out uh, from under it uh, and, and restore your reputation. In this particular case, I think you make such an excellent point that what is win for someone who says that they're trying to be above it all Carter? Well, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. I mean, he, he is not, we were trying when we were just giving advice for what should happen or could happen. A lot of the advice was trying to remove it from that political win-loss arena where, you know, if if you keep this entire project and entire process in win-loss, um, you're only hurting the country, right? Like this is external interference in, in our elections, external inter, uh, interference in our um, pro, you know, electoral processes. And frankly, uh, it shouldn't be dictated by wins and losses it should be dictated by everybody stopping this from happening and and stopping china from interfering in our elections but instead it has turned into a partisan political piñata and i just don't understand how how we got to this place both from the liberals point of view and frankly from the uh, from the the conservatives and pierre polyev i think that we should be above this type of behavior and i i certainly think that um David Johnson should be above it because uh, he's supposed to be he's supposed to be literally the guy uh, above the whole the whole situation. But he's just he's now as embroiled in the win and losses as, as Trudeau and Pierre. Yeah, I, Carter, I want to get there. Corey, respond to this. And then I've, I've got a question for both of you as it relates to crisis communications and David Johnson before we kind of uh, zoom out to, to the broader story. So the hiring of a crisis communications firm is problematic to me because of all of the things I've said, but also because it suggests that there is a managing of reputation that's going to occur, which I think when your job is to go turn over rocks and put light on things is not great. Mm -hmm. And let me just throw, a, I think, a not too unrealistic hypothetical at you here. David Johnson has come out and said, we don't need a public inquiry. It would be unsatisfying. That's the same excuse I use to not give my children mm -hmm. the things they want too, right? But uh, say he got to a fork in the road now, and there was additional advice that came out or something turned up that made him think an inquiry was now necessary. Okay. And so he's suddenly facing a choice between his reputation or the security of this country. You feel like there's a conflict there. Well, I don't. Conflict. There's always going to be that challenge with things like this. But when you hire a firm whose job is to curate reputations, that raises that challenge in my mind a little bit more clearly than perhaps if he was just going to say, "I'm going to let the chips fall where they may." Yes, I need communications assistance for this. Yes, I'm going to make sure I don't say something stupid that might actually cause challenges for everybody. But when you hire a firm who has the reputation Navigator has. Uh, you know, I'm not even talking win-loss here. I'm talking about the reputation to, to be pugilistic, to fight, to go out yeah. there and, uh, and to say, we're going to get you to the finish line no matter what. And your job is decidedly 
to make choices as to whether you should even get to the finish line. Your job is to decide what's in the best interest of the country, even if you can't tell the country everything, right? Isn't that exactly why we're not doing this inquiry to begin yeah. with? Because it's, there are some things you just can't bring forward. Like there's just such a disconnect for me when I think about those two things. There's there's uh, three threads I want to talk about. There's the, the liberals overall. Carter brought up this point around like, you know, how, how liberals and David Johnson were caught flat footed. There's the overall sort of decision point why Johnson kind of led into this decision. And there's a bit on the legacy in terms of like, how do you repair that in some ways? Because Johnson is a guy who's got a story, right? And he's got a legacy mm-hmm. prior to this. And, and how do you ensure that this is not a, a legacy defining moment? But before that, Carter, can I get nerdy about yes political like the politics of hiring an agency. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Like, why do we know that he hired Navigator? Like the three of us worked at a consulting firm where there was multiple layers of security to ensure that certain clients did not have public exposure. Oh, yeah. And and I'm just trying to figure that out from my perspective. Like, did he feel like this was a good strategy or like even to confirm that this is what the case was? Like, talk to me about this because there's the mechanics here that also there's the hiring, which I'm in agreement with your guys' perspectives on that, by the way. But there's also the mechanics of this we're intimately familiar with. There's multiple layers of like institutional security at these firms to ensure that something like this can remain deeply confidential should that be the client's wish. Well, let's be clear. I mean, to be honest, a hiring a communications firm is probably wise in terms of what the special rapporteur is doing and 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 what the next phase of this is going to be. Going out and, and holding these years, you're you're going to hire a communications firm, right? Uh, and and the previous firm that we worked at, H and K, or even Navigator, could fit that bill under the engagement services that are traditionally provided. Because keep in mind, Navigator doesn't just do crisis communications; they do the full suite mm-hmm. of communications that everybody. Uh, does because they they do what all of us did, which is take all the money, right? Yo, you, you do that type of communicate. We do too. Well, that's, that is a we do too. Yeah, that was basically our slogan at H and K. We do that too. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we get you hire a navigator to do your engagement structures, right? Are we are we going to be fussed by that? Maybe not. Maybe maybe it gets spun. But there wasn't even a there wasn't even an attempt. To say, well, we didn't hire Navigator for crisis communications. So someone has let it slip that the crisis, they've hired Navigator to do not just communications, but um, crisis communications. I, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's that's kind of uh, unheard of in the crisis communications field. But it makes me wonder that someone wanted it known. And I don't know which side wanted it known, but whoever the side was, was pretty stupid. This doesn't seem to help anyone. Corey, you've got any thoughts on the mechanics here? Yeah, well, simply, the government can't generally hire a confidential contractor. And a government RFP is going to define the scope in a way that's pretty hard to avoid. So guess what? If you hire them for crisis, that's probably going to show up in some way. And yes, I understand you can just say general communication services. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, if they've structured it in a way that specifically speaks to crisis communications, well, let's put it this way. What's worse than hiring Navigator? looking like you're trying to hide the fact that you hired Navigator. And there might have been a desire to say, well, this is coming out anyways. We're going to manage this coming out, and we're going to put it out in a way that we think is a little bit more confident, maybe not even controlled, but confident, as though we're saying this is a communications firm, we have communications needs, and uh, we hired Navigator. They're one of the best. Who's going to dispute that? Well, you know what? I I think that the challenge is we've already gone through, but I, I can understand the logic train, flawed though it may be, that led them to this particular moment. 
Oh, okay. Uh, well, I'm glad we got a bureaucrat on the show. Yeah, thank you. This is good. Very helpful. Yeah, no, no, thank God. Thank for buzz killing that conversation. Wow. Uh, Corey, while yeah, we're sorry. on. Yeah. Sorry yeah. that I took Steven's tinfoil hat and I put it back in the drawer. Using I just a very bland government tease here, but yes. Definitely. <laughs> hey, Carter, let's talk yeah. about this. Let's talk about legacy. Because uh, I did say it was one of the three things on my list. And it is how does um, how does Johnson prevent prevent this from being the defining point of his legacy. He probably has to use the broader instrument of time to help heal some things. But is what can you do right now while you're in it as you think of David Johnson, the, the, you know, just the, 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 the former governor general, the, the law dean, the guy who's written volumes on, on what it means to be Canadian as, as a treatise. Like, how does he prevent this from being what defines him at the end of the day? I mean... <sighs> I think just by the sheer volume, we're going to remember a lot about David Johnson. Um, but it's going to be difficult because this is going to be a chapter for sure. And I think that if you wanted this to not be the defining moment of your career, you really needed to approach this differently. You needed to understand the particular political dynamics and come back. Like, I don't disagree with David Johnson. I don't think that this is going to be satisfactory if we hold this inquiry in the public eye. I think that there'd be so many times that they'd have to say, I'm sorry, we have to go in camera. We're going to have to ask everybody to leave. Then you come back in and you're back in for about four and a half minutes. And then you have to go back in camera because we're going to, you know, we're going to hear some more testimony from another uh, person who can't be identified. And this is public, blah, blah, blah. All I totally expect that the public would be totally pissed if this was a public inquiry, but this needed to become not political. And when when Justin Trudeau appointed um, when when Justin Trudeau appointed uh, David Johnson to be the special rapporteur, um, David Johnson, we we knew that this was going to be a political problem in X number of weeks. David Johnson should have, should have known that as well. And David Johnson should have done what needed to be done to take the. Do you struggle saying Johnson? I, am, I just feel like I, that's, I just I have to, every I time I say it, I hear Dick. That. And I, I, I can't stop. It's the okay. worst. It's the well, worst. I am having little, trouble little saying here behind the Dunton. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were going to offer you some support there, but then it just yeah. became yeah. just Th- weird. Make fun Corey. of my speech. And um, I'm not done. Here's I, the thing. No, I yeah. think that he should have tried to take the political sting out of this. I don't know if he reached How? out. How would he have done you that? You reach out to Jugmeet Singh. You reach out to uh, Pierre Polyev and you sit down. And, well, and he, they, he tried. Do you remember the letter? The, the letter. Then, then you gotta, then you gotta go back to the prime minister and say, "I'm not able to take the political stain out of this," and and don't do the work. If you want to protect your legacy, you don't do the work and say this isn't going to work because we've got these political people who want to make this a political process, and therefore it must be resolved in the political lens. Mm. Corey, let's talk about the early days on this. Do the liberals just underestimate how much the friend of chalet buddy, Trudeau Foundation, close friend sort of line would penetrate and how it would actually undermine credibility? Because I take you back to our initial text conversation, right? Remember when I said, I'm like, this is great. And you were like, "Uh, not so quick. I think I I was very quick to say this was Thank you, Zane, for once again, pulling back the curtain and showing that you were right. right. Well, and no, so I, and I, I think I think my instinctive response with yeah. like one second to think about it, right? Like the article came out, I'm like, smart, like it. And then like with 
five more minutes to think about it, I was like, oh yeah, this is probably problematic, <laughs> especially because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know about the foundation stuff and like many. So did the, do you just feel like the liberals kind of did a version of my thinking, being like unimpeachable, whatever? They didn't take it seriously. Uh, I know we discussed a bit, bit, bit of that, but like walk me through it now, seeing the results. Like, do you point, do you point it, pinpoint it to something else? Well, it's it's not so much, in my opinion, the foundational challenge is not that they underestimated how much of a rocky ride he would get. It's that they overestimated how clever a choice he was. And we talked a bit about this on the pod. We did. We did talk about that. This yeah. notion that it was uh, as soon as you use Johnson because he was appointed by a conservative, everybody was supposed to lay down their swords and say, oh, well, I guess he's perfect then. Yeah. As though because you've appointed somebody for one thing in the past 15 years, you're therefore obliged to accept them for all things going forward. Like, I mean, that's just not how the world works. And I think Stephen is absolutely correct um, about saying, okay, this is a political challenge. It's got to be settled in the political arena. But let's not fucking kid ourselves. The liberals tried to make a political decision in the appointment of Johnson. That was a gotcha moment they were attempting to set up. Like, fuck you. You're going to have to accept Johnson. So let's not pretend the conservatives are the only ones with blood on their hands as we're talking about the death of this particular integrity uh, around the David Johnson inquiry here. And look, I think that is fundamentally the problem. It probably would have been better if the minute... And I, I can understand why... All of the parties would want to fight this. But the minute that Pierre Polyev made clear he was not going to meet with him, he was going to be that shitheel who was sending these snarky comments to David Johnson, David, David Johnson should have said, you know what? The entire purpose of this is to build confidence. And it's clear to me that we will not have the ingredients to build confidence as long as the House is not willing to, to entertain conversation. Carter. It is much easier for David Johnson to say, I do not have the confidence of this house than it is for, for Justin Trudeau to find out he does not have the confidence of this house. And by the way, he literally does not have the confidence of the house. Yeah. The house has voted on this particular, on this particular matter. matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in some way, talk to me about Johnson's decision, right? So we talked about the liberal side. Corey, I'm going to give you a shot at the legacy. I'll just do that at the, at the end here. But let's talk about Johnson's decision, right? He comes out, they have a press conference, and he ultimately concludes... The, we're not doing a public inquiry. There, to me, there's a bit of like, you know, hiring navigator is on one end of like a win-loss binary. But in some ways, there was like no winning strategy that he like he must have known or he must have not cared about the political sort of ramifications of him coming out many weeks later as this tension has been getting, uh, you know, as it's been getting even more tense, I should say, and the temperature has been getting higher and higher and then saying, yeah, we're not doing it. Um, do you feel like, from your perspective, like how would you counsel a person who's going to make that decision, know that there's a political consequence to it, and while they can't be partisan, they do have to not, they have to at the very least be, you know, politically not tone deaf. Like how, what was the, the line, how would you have coached and counseled Johnson as you would have, was about to kind of make that, that announcement uh, a, few, a few weeks ago now? Yeah, in some ways, I think there's a parallel to crime. And I'm going to use it because we've talked a lot about crime in the last bit about how there's the actual physical safety, and then there's the psychological safety. And that's an important component of it here, too. And so when people are talking about, yeah, but crime stats say in the 90s, crime was worse, blah, blah, blah. That's okay, but people don't feel safe. And you've got to look at the psychological safety that people are feeling dented. Similarly, I would say to David Johnson, and David, your right honorableness, whatever you're supposed to call a former GG. Listen, I understand that you're looking at this particular matter and you're looking at it through a lens that says, 
based on the evidence you have at hand, you don't feel the need for these things. But there is a psychological safety about Canadian elections that you are not fully considering at this particular moment here. Or maybe that's not even fair. Maybe the thing I would be saying to him, Zane, is I really need you to think about the psychological safety of Canadians in these moments here too. The psychological comfort Canadians have that their elections Mm. will be free and fair. And that has to be a serious consideration, not just the nuts and bolts, not just whatever you're hearing from CSIS, the RCMP, from the departments, from the Prime Minister, office in the interviews you've had. You need to think about this country in broader sense because we are in a democracy and fundamental to all of it working is that we have confidence in the systems and that requires involving the people who are using those systems. Yeah. So Carter, Corey would have used psychological safety as a way to kind of make the political point for to him to make sure he doesn't blow this up politically, which we, we all kind of agree he did. Carter, your take on that and what would you have advised John? I think the problem with, with Corey's take is that at the end of the day, it is not going to be effective for um, for this to come to a public inquiry. Like the problem is you're dealing with a national security, like the, the entire, from the very beginning, what was called for in a public inquiry is not the tool that should be used to fix this particular problem. You are essentially bringing a hammer to a screw. It, it will, you know, maybe it'll get in, but it probably won't. Uh, or actually more, more, aptly they're probably bringing a hammer to an ice pitcher um like it's just it's a it's not going to work uh you can't do this type of thing in the public eye and johnson recognizes that um i think that i think that trudeau recognizes that and frankly i think that pierre polyev recognizes well, that l- l- but they don't well, give a shit because like pierre polyev doesn't give a shit because he's winning political points and that's a significant problem Carter, well, tell me, let's me put this in a, in a binary. What is politically better for the liberals? A wholly unsatisfactory public inquiry or no public inquiry whatsoever because of the fact that it could be wholly unsatisfactory? I have no idea. What do you pay a larger political price on? You don't We know, are right? so far down this, this rabbit hole. There, we, are so, we are in such a problem for the, for the liberals. I'm not sure what actually works for them in this particular moment. And I will defer to my good friend, Corey Hogan, who no doubt has a better answer than I have no idea. <laughs> the core, I just try to make it a binary, even though it's not a fair one. What's better for the liberals politically? A wholly unsatisfactory public inquiry, kick the can down the road, punt it, right? The the guardrails or the what we could or could not say in that public inquiry were already determined for us. Sorry, fucking we kind of told you that. Or the Johnson track right now where they're taking even more kicks to the shins but it might actually have some upside for them because it may have been the right call to not go down the public inquiry route from a pure political, political strategy perspective. You have a thought on that? Yeah, well, I'm quite sure what they're thinking is we just take our lumps, we keep our head down, we don't fuel this fire, we don't talk about it because we don't want to be the people who throw gasoline on this particular bonfire and we'll get through this. We just need to get through this kind of calmly and quietly and patiently. I'm quite sure that's the liberal strategy and it remains to be seen whether it will work or not, but I have a lot of reason to believe it will not work. Let's start with the obvious. It's a minority government, and Jagmeet Singh has made a pretty absurd comment about how he doesn't want to have an election. Well, there are challenges with the election. I I mean, let's all try to point out the logical flaw in that if the challenges with the election might be with the people who are in power, right? Maybe we'll set that aside for one particular moment, a little bit of a loophole to let the liberals in government forever because people don't have confidence in them. Pretty weird, but I'm going to set that one aside for a minute. So We'll discuss it shortly, yes. yeah. Minority government. Big challenge. Okay. 
Number okay. two, we've talked about this. China is not going away. There are going to be other issues on China. You're not going to be able to ride this out because five months later, there'll be something else. Five months after that, something else. Because the world is not staying still. And I guarantee you there's a whole bunch of shit that we don't know about. Challenge three, the people that do know something about it have clearly shown themselves to be leakers. There are leaks in the security Mm. apparatus somewhere. And we're going to continue to be kind of fed a drip, I believe, anytime anything kind of comes out on this front. And frankly, one of the strongest reasons to have a public inquiry, in my personal opinion, is because we've got leaks coming out of our national security apparatus. I want to know who the fuck is doing that, and I want them to go to jail if they've been doing it illegally and for political reasons. Simple as that for me, right? Yes, we have police. Yes, we have people who can investigate these things. But you know what is also a pretty bad look? arresting people and you don't know why because it has to do with national security so it's time to have this in the light of day the inquiries act i would challenge most people to even to tell me what the inquiries act allows and affords here's the bottom line it affords certain powers of subpoena and oath and it's going to bring professionals together to look at an issue that frankly probably needs some looking at and the problem the liberals have is that foundational reality is at odds with their strategy. And when your strategy is at odds with reality, you're more likely than not going to lose. Yeah. I mean, the challenge with that, Corey, is that, you know, you're talking about people being arrested, not being able to be seen in the light of day. You're still not going to be able to be seen in the light of day because so much of this public inquiry is not going to be public. I mean, how do you hold a public inquiry where a percentage, pick a percentage, I don't care what the percentage is, but a significant percentage sure. of that public inquiry is going to be held behind closed doors because it turns out that if you talk about it in, in, in you know, open session, um, the Chinese will be listening and the Chinese are, in fact, the problem in this. I mean, you know, the liberals aren't the problem. The liberals aren't the issue. The Chinese are the issue. And yet the liberals have somehow managed to make it about themselves again. You know, it's just, they, well, the liberals might be the issue. I oh, don't. I kind of project you God, coming to that come conclusion. On. Come on, we've been spied upon by the Chinese, so it's obviously the liberals' fault. They've been impacting that, our, uh, our elections. They've been pushing the buttons, so it's the liberals' fault. They push everybody's Are buttons. We, here's where we're starting. the The accusation, the thing that is behind all of this, the challenge that we have right now, is that China may have been interfering in elections to the benefit of the liberals. And the suggestion is the liberals didn't do enough because it was to their benefit. So yeah, I mean, that would fundamentally be a problem with our governing party. It is not proven. That is a pretty big charge that's been leveled out there, but it's a charge that's been leveled. And I think we need to get to the bottom. And of there's it. no and way frankly, to get to the bottom of it in public, in the public, in the public. Yeah. So we're going to let the government do it. No, we can't. How do you want to do it? You want to, you're going to do a public inquiry and, and we're going to do what in terms of solving it? Not a damn thing. So here's the, 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 let, the let things me, let that me you be, want to solve. Let me solved. add my, 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 my general cynicism back to it. Who cares about solving it? Talk to me about the politics. Oh. of it. Can the liberals successfully just kick this down the road? Which is why I go back to my original question. Is a public inquiry, despite it being wholly unsatisfactory, the right political play here? Let me just impress upon that one more time to see if there's any clarity I have from you, Carter, on this. And, and Corey, you wanted to jump in first. But, Carter, think about that. In the Yeah. Oh, Corey's going to jump in. I'll tell you. Yeah, this is jump in first. This is where he... Whatever you've got in your hand looks like a Johnson. <laughs> it's a flashlight. Oh, it's a dick. It's a flashlight. It's a flashlight. <laughs> okay, a flashlight. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I was confused. Here is the thing. Everything I said... 
reality is going to be their enemy on this particular one. Can they just continue to ignore reality? Can they continue to go down this until know, you tell me until Sometimes. their government falls or not? Uh, yeah, it's like certainly is not going to definitely. Well, <laughs> we'll see. Like at a certain point, yeah, the absurdity of his position might true, might force true. him into a challenge. No, that never happens. Not with Sam. No, never. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, look, I think that's the problem. Is it victory if you just say, man, we managed not to have an inquiry, uh, but our government fell and we lost to Pierre Polyev, and now we're the third party because the liberal vote is so efficient that we get zero seats when we don't get the government. I mean, that's a problem, too, and that's a challenge that they have right now. It's time to start cleaning up this particular fucking mess, and they have a lot of bad decisions in front of them. They had better decisions several months ago when they could have just called the inquiry and managed it and shaped it and given Pierre Polyev his particular moment in the sun. Because, frankly, you give a man enough rope and he can hang himself in those situations, too. Just ask McCarthy about that. But... uh, there is, um, you know, there is not a lot of good choices now. You're going to have to pick the least bad choice. And frankly, your least bad choice is still an inquiry. Carter. You know what really pisses me off about what Corey just said? Like the Corey, you know, Corey being so emphatic, Corey being so, comf- you know, s- certain that the least bad choice is to host the public inquiry. The, the, the absolute confidence that that prick had when he said it, you know what really pisses me off? He's absolutely right. At this stage, <laughs> there is no other option. And Corey also said, and this, oh, Corey said months ago, right? That if, you, if you're sitting there and you're doing crisis communications and you say, where will we be at some point? Don't fight being at that point. Just get to that point. And here we are. There was probably going to need, a, be, need to be a public inquiry because Pierre, because your primary opposition is prepared to play politics with national security. And by God, I, if you're not using that fucking line, and they haven't been, they haven't been, they, they're so bad at this, Corey. They're so bad. Yeah. Yeah, well, and look, and, and I think one of the things the liberals have fallen into a bit of a trap on is they're sort of bemoaning privately Pierre Polyev's behaviors, but uh, what are they doing about it? And so, like, here's the thing. He's not going to change his behaviors. You continue to go down this path. Everybody can see where this is going. So either, you know, you pick up your baseball bat and you do your best, uh, you know, De Niro in Untouchables. Yeah. Uh, Right? Oh, shit. I didn't say Dave. Well, it was the, you know, it's it's because it was predated the prequel to Dave. Predated Dave. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the unofficial prequel to Dave. <laughs> or, or, you know, or you change your strategy here. And changing your strategy might be accepting that inquiry. But what they're doing right now, I don't get it. Corey, I'm going to give you an opportunity on this. I didn't come to you on this. Round us out on if you were in the position right now as a communications and strategy expert to help David Johnson with his legacy and crystallizing what he can. And of course, legacies are crystallized, you know, further down the line and in many different parts and many different volumes. But you are trying to help him ensure that this isn't a defining or focal point of it. What are you doing? Carter gave us a bit of an answer. I want you to build on that. Yeah. So there's a middle term and a long term answer. And the middle term one might actually be better. I'm sure he thinks long term if he just does what's right history will redeem him, right? If he just follows the facts as they are, does the things, history will redeem him. Well, I would suggest to him that if he wants to be seen as impartial, he's going to need to make a little bit of a show of impartiality. So next time he's at disagreement with the government, next time they withhold something that he wants to see, he should let us all know about it. 
right? And he, if he wants to start rebuilding his reputation, what he needs to show is that he's not uh, Justin Trudeau's lapdog on this particular matter. But frankly, that's going to be pretty weak tea at this particular moment. Mm. I, I feel like it's going to be tough at this point, but uh, probably the best way to manage your reputation going forward. You want my honest advice on this? Yes, of course. Minimize how much you're involved in this going forward. Allow the weight of your career to be so- being the president at Waterloo, being the law dean at Western, being the governor general. Don't allow the weight of it when somebody Googles David Johnson to become this fucking, like, you know, rapid well, thing. How, how about this? Let me throw this out there. Could, could, could a version of that Stephen Carter, if you agree with that premise, be sending a note to uh, the prime minister and the media at 9 a.m. Eastern, Monday, June 5th, saying that he's done? I I think that if I were in the uh, brain trust in Navigator, uh, that would be one of the options that would certainly be on the whiteboard. Um, and in fact, I think I'd have it as my first. Option. Would it rise to the top? I, I think okay, so. I'm yeah, just ask I that. think yeah. so because yeah. the other option is to reverse yourself, and you can't reverse yourself. But you can say I've made my recommendation, and perhaps I'm not the person to lead this. I've offered my resignation to the uh, the prime minister. Get the fuck out. How would you how how would you write that resignation letter, Corey? If if you if that were to rise to the top as a solution this evening, in the David Johnson chat that he's having with with his council, uh, communications and otherwise, what would you say there? Would you leave gracefully? Would you point to the issues of the opposition? Would you point to the credibility? How do you kind of if legacy is the goal, which we've done a few times on the show with different folks, but if legacy is the goal, how do you leave correctly if that has become the choice you're making? You say that the we'll find the exact words in a moment. We'll walk of towards course. them together. Give us here. a sentiment. Yeah, yeah. We'll, you say this work that you're doing is incredibly important, and you're not stepping away in the middle of it. And you remain at the disposal of uh, whoever will be leading this work going forward. But it's clear to you after the vote of the House of Commons, and it's clear to you after discussing with um, I I don't know uh, I wouldn't say friends and family per se, but you know discussing with. Uh, uh, you know, other people close to this particular file, that um, that you are not the person at this moment who can help Canadians have the confidence in the d- democratic system that they so richly deserve. And while you remain at the disposal of this country in any way they see fit, you cannot be the person leading this work anymore. And you thank the prime minister for your trust in him. He's put in you and you... Um, and you say, I, I remain at the disposal of this government. Thank you, Um end right and i think that becomes the tone where it's like i am still here i want to solve this problem i want to do this but i understand my own particular limitations in terms of brand and my end goal which you define in this letter is that we have confidence in our democratic systems once again and that we have protected these democratic systems in both real terms and in perceived terms against the threats foreign and domestic carter yes and yes and i would i would also say this is this is absolutely serious um, much of what will need to be described will not be able to be held in the pub- public realm, as I've indicated, because of the serious nature of this. But this is happening. The, this is, th- these, these are real issues with real consequences, and we cannot ignore them. There must be action. I just cannot be the person at the, at the, the head of the spear of this action, but I will be there supporting whoever takes, it, takes this on. I like it. I like it. We're going to leave that segment there. Nicely done, guys. Moving on to our next segment. Our next segment, Danielle Summer, a Knives Out mystery. (laughs) Guys, (laughs) listen, 
We have to talk about it. We're going back to provincial politics. At least I am. You guys have always been there, but I'm going back to it. I want to talk about Danielle Smith. I want to talk about the fact that she's now Premier Corey, and it is clear by the election result that she was a liability to the party and that there was many conversations at the doors, many conversations in the chattering class in conservative circles that said something like, well, you know, once we get elected, once we get the mandate, we'll ensure that we we swap out the leaders, you know, say that silently. We've heard that once or twice. And we know that there's that sentiment. You look at the the results, you see that, you know, the NDP were able to make gains significantly. Many people think that's on the, at the back of Danielle Smith. You might disagree. Yeah. But I think the knives might be out. And I want to help us craft a strategy for Danielle Smith. It should be the gift that we give her, Carter. The Danielle Smith, how do I keep my job for as long as possible strategy? That is what we are doing. And it's going to start with the scope of the summer. And she's got a lot of stuff happening this summer. She's, of course, going to get uh, her cabinet sworn in. She's probably going to just choose staff. She's probably going to have to deal with some big questions around uh, folks that um, how to deal with Edmonton, how to deal with Calgary. I want us to kind of collectively work together in the sandbox to help Danielle Smith keep her job as long as possible. Corey might think the knives, one of you might think the knives are actually not going to come out this summer, that they might wait for a bit. But there is a sense that these knives come out. We know this because it's Alberta and it's a conservative party in government. Yeah. And we know that this is going to happen. So I want us to work on this project together. So Carter, I'm going to start with you. Give us one thing, put it in the sandbox that allows us to start molding it together around how Danielle Smith avoids having the knives coming out for as long as she can how does she keep her job for as long as he can't as she can this summer and what oh as she can and what is the first thing she needs to start doing this summer Stephen carter over to you she needs to work on every one of the 87 candidates that was uh, in this election campaign um the truth is at this point those 87 candidates are still the strongest people in their uh in their respective ridings so they theoretically would be the ones who would be um, you know, marshalling people to go to the conventions and, and you know, the person, the people that she can call upon to, you know, we used to call upon different MLAs and different leaders within the constituencies to, you know, marshal, you know, wrestle up a couple thousand people to attend the, uh, to, to attend the leadership review and make sure that they're all voting for me. Um, but, you know, right now you're fighting against Take Back Alberta as well, right? So you can you can suck up to Take Back Alberta, or you can suck up to your MLAs. My my experience is that the MLAs will probably be more effective in general um, and with less backlash. So if you suck up to Take Back Alberta, you very well could find yourself on the outside looking in because there's another group of people who are organizing um, to get you out from the other side. But your MLAs, theoretically, your MLAs and candidates are all on the same side. They all literally stood with you for the last six weeks trying to run this election. Get on their side. Get them all into your office. Make sure that they understand that they're the real power in this party and that you will be listening to them moving forward. Essentially, you are taking half of your power and you are saying, I'm giving it to these candidates and these MLAs. And that's it. I'm giving as much power as possible because if you don't, if you try and make a strong premier's office, if you try and do a deal with TBA, you're going to find yourself on the outside looking in at the leadership review, which will happen, I think, in the next. It won't necessarily be the summer, but it will happen sooner than later. 
Corey, can I come to you in one second? I just have one clarifying question for Carter, and I just simply clarifying. Carter, what do you mean give them power? What do you mean I will listen to these you. candidates in MLA? I will listen to you. Oh, you guys think that the deal I did- Can we get tactical? Uh, the deal that I did, tactical? yeah, the deal I did with the, uh, with the flames in the city, you guys don't like that anymore? It's done. It's gone. Um, oh, you guys don't think that we should, you know, you don't like the curriculum? You heard a lot about that at the doors? It's changed. What else do you got? Right. Like how Oh, we, we have consent. If we have consensus within this group of something that we should do, I'm listening to you 100 percent of the time. I am not going to listen to my advisors. I am not going to listen to my pollsters. I am going to listen to the people who have the voices. That's who I'm going to listen to, because if you start listening to your pollsters, your advisors, um, pollsters and advisors don't get people to uh to leadership reviews. Candidates get people to, to leadership reviews. Interesting first point thrown in there, Carter. I'm going to dig a bit deeper on the tactics there because I find them quite interesting. Corey, did you want to respond to that, add to that, and then give us your your first item to add to the, the summer sandbox for Danielle Smith and how she keeps her job for as long as possible? Okay. Well, I do think we need to start by saying, hey, it's kind of funny that we're talking about Danielle Smith being at Jeopardy here. She did win the election. We could, you know, we could do a version of this talking about what's going on in the NDP, although I personally believe Rachel Notley's in absolutely no Jeopardy because Mm -hmm. of how she's built that party. But let's just sort of start there. Like, this is kind of a funny thing to do. Like, she just won. Let's talk about how fucked she is. Is, is is it a funny thing to do? Yeah, it I is a funny thing. It is a very, And you were so right in the last thing. segment. To throw that all away. To throw away how right you were. Well, actually, let's... Let, no, 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 this no, is... This is I mean, it's it's kind of silly. No, it's Because not. the the fact of the matter is... I don't is, think it's a silly exercise at all, but I'm actually... I'm, caucus is almost entirely going to be made of rural MLAs plus a few Calgary MLAs who she will certainly be sure to reward. I, I think you can imagine who will be in there from cabinet. It'll be very strong. But here's the other reality... Take Back Alberta's power has never been stronger. Take Back Alberta supports Danielle Smith. Take Back Alberta controls the board. She has control on things actually that even Jason Kenney had challenges controlling right now. So, I, you know, it's funny because everything Stephen said is good advice in that you want to talk to the candidates. They're the ones who are going to drive it. That's a nice supplement to Take Back Alberta. That can be part of a longer term strategy to build your own power base, which you desperately need to do because live by Take Back Alberta, die by Take Back Alberta otherwise, right? Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's almost overkill. It's almost unnecessary oh. at this point because she won. She won the fucking election. And it's going to be very oh, difficult for people to move won. against her. I think that so let's let's oh, let, maybe I'm happy to blow this up. Let's actually explore why you think it's difficult for people to move against her. You think it's simply because the the fact that it's not 60 seats and it's 48 and it's disproportionately rural. Carter, you're losing oh. it more than me. I'm actually just curious about this. So go ahead. Uh, Stephen, can I ask you a question? You ask Do you remember the 801 Club? Yeah, I remember, remember the, the 801 Club very well. Do you want to tell our audience what the, the 801, 801 Club was, was going to be? The group club of people was. who went after Christy Clark the, uh, at 801 after she lost the. Which election was it? It was 2013? 2013. 2013 election. 2013. They were all going to come after her. And you know what happened? She won. 
Right. Absolutely. And then what happened? They didn't come after her. And then her. what they happened? They did not come after her. Did anybody come no, after her? No, but you're, 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 this is mm. not the same. No, this is not, no. How dare you, sir? That's interesting how to me. How dare you, sir, make this sound the same? First of all, when was the last time that a uh, conservative leader in Alberta led back to back elections? I'll wait. You take your time. Oh, yeah. A guy named Ralph Klein. Uh, that was the last time. Uh, th- We're talking about the summer. I'm talking Steven. about the summer. To be to be fair to to fair to it, Corey, I am coming talking after about him. The it, it, coming after her. It doesn't matter if it's in the summer. Doesn't matter if it's in the fall. Doesn't matter if it's in the spring. Doesn't matter if it's fucking Christmas. They are coming after her, and she needs to prepare now because they are coming after her for sure. Huh. Let's ask that baseline question because I assumed it would be a prepare now conversation. Corey, do you do you reject prepare? ever or do you just reject prepare now let's just i actually want to get your thoughts on this i mean steven's right people don't live long in that job right But especially her though don't you uh, think that there's well, something here no i don't think there's oh, anything you uniquely don't. special God. about her at this particular moment in fact i think a smaller caucus is a bit of her friend because a lot of the people who would be the natural standard bearers that people would rally around in terms of of being a moderate conservative they don't exist anymore. And by the way, when we talk about people going down, Ralph Klein was just a little long in the tooth, a little bit different there. But all of the other ones that have been ousted have been ousted from the right. Even Jason Kenney, inexplicably, was ousted from the right. But we have Danielle Smith, who is who has decided pretty clearly that she's going to hang out on the right. And what's the threat? That she's going to be ousted from the left? Does anybody think that's a real threat? Yes, it's, because the threshold is absurdly low. It is th- there is no real mechanism for these uh, leadership reviews be to be held by the leaders. Like this is part of me thought. Yeah, part of me. Okay, so can I give you my? Yeah, I usually don't give any opinions. Oh, oh yeah, I, we never. Yeah, know. we never know because never the question structure is so I, opaque. My my conclusion to this episode, let's just blow this segment up. Who gives a fuck? Uh, my conclusion here was going to be she would try to cater to and prepare like Carter would. And hopefully, Corey, you would have jumped in on this and it would have been excellent and would have had a great segment, great value for the audience. Yeah, but Corey uh, she would have it, catered. Right? She would have done things this summer. Yeah. Right. She would have tried to strategize this summer. She would have uh, taken her relatively what she called mainstream moving Alberta forward sort of policy book. And kind of enacted that quickly. She would have moved quicker than maybe she if if there wasn't yeah. you know uh, any sort of attack. And then I think the 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 strategic sort of fail for would have been that she was going to get ousted from the right, that the right would start hating her. This is this is kind of like the story that I feel like sh- we, we might be heading into. And and maybe just react to my premise. Here, I'm that loving that you guys are calling. Her, there's one right. I just think that's hilarious. It just proves to me you've never worked in conservative politics. The right. No, I agree the with you. The singular right. There, there are, are lots of minutes. factions. There in are any so part. many little groups of the rights, and she won't have. And you feel like a. Ver- she- so then, correct me. You feel like a version of the right, of the far right, is now taking no, control. A taking version out the of the How right. How would you define it? For her, whether it's led by this the one, story, you know, David Parker's or the Craig Chandler's or the Alan Hallman's, or there are so many names of so many people that can rally twenty to thirty percent of the uh, of the leadership group and boom she's done she's done and it doesn't matter if she's taken out at the lead like if the leadership's this i mean i think frankly she'd be way better to move quickly and have the leadership this summer i mean jesus move before they move 
Act before so mean, the uh, act before like don't call the oh, legislature. I completely agree with that. Don't bring the legislature back until until October. Leadership review in in July. I'm thinking I'm thinking Edmonton sometime in the first two weeks of July. Who's with me? Yeah, let's do that. That that are smart. you with them? That's 100 percent smart. But it's smart not because she's at risk right now, at but because she right might now. be at risk. Because she, well, if she's at risk right now, then it's not she's, smart. Well, no, but you, did you hear Calgary the first two weeks of July? That's how she gets out of this. You Here, said Edmonton. Okay. No, but I mean, yeah, you, you said, I said it'll yeah, be okay. in Edmonton because Calgary right, okay. has right. a little show called the stampede. You remember that? Okay. So here's why I think it's smart to do something like that. And this kind of pulls back almost to what you want to talk about, but in a different way here, Zane. It's smart to do something like that because something will happen in the future. She will fuck up again. I I want to be really clear. She just won the election. All her previous fuck-ups washed off the table. They're not going to carry any currency anymore. Nobody's going to be able to point to things like her conversations with, uh, what's his name? He's already gone from my memory. Arthur. Uh, Pulowski, Arthur Pulowski. Is that Nobody's going to be, that is, is that how it works. That is how it works. So it's going to take something new. And when that something new inevitably does happen, start your engines, it's coming. Actually, then she pa- could be in potential challenge right now. But, but Zane, she's not in a challenge right now. She's not in a challenge situation. She should be using the time that she's not in a challenge situation to be building herself a coalition that will allow her to survive the next challenge, which is why Stephen's idea was smart. Call your 87 candidates. Tell them you're going to work with them. Make them feel important. Use their authority. Use their power. Use their networks. Use their lists in order to strengthen yourself. Long term, that is how you separate yourself from Take Back Alberta and build your own power base. And short term, you know, that's just uh, that's just good politics. And by the way, that is what she's doing with this kind of talk around, like, I'm going to get the defeated candidates from Edmonton. Uh-huh. I'm going to uh-huh. ask them their ideas. That is what she's doing. Just most people wouldn't say it publicly. They would do it privately. I, I mean, but that's just politics. That's not because of any specific moment of crisis she might be facing. She doesn't face one. She does face one. She's got to try and game the system so she, she gets to survive longer than 15 minutes. She will face one. She doesn't face one right now. But you are preparing in the summer for one that is TBD in term. And I if use I'm TBD a conservative rather- leader, I'm always preparing for that. And I yeah. think one of the lessons of the past couple of decades of conservative politics is control your party, control your constituency associations, always be able at the moment's notice to win a majority vote of the membership. That's something we never used to have to think about. But now you must always have those things because of the volatility that exists with a very fickle, very populist base. Totally. Carter, I'm going to I'm going to go through a few things here in terms of additional things she might need to think about this summer for, you know, and I and I used the summer period mainly as a period to prepare for the eventual side, whenever that might be. So I don't know if we're that far off in terms of what I wanted to do and what we are doing. However, Corey said something very interesting that I just want to examine with you, which is, Carter, does an election absolve you of any past sins winning an election? Um. Is that the rule? Corey, Corey kind of said that's the rule definitively 100%. I want to just get your take on that before we move on to the Danielle Smith summer planning. It's, it's more the rule than it should be. Um, you know, it, it really does absolve you of most things. You, you you get to say, well, that was known when the electorate elected me and, and uh, they decided it wasn't that big of a deal. And it's true. We, you know, like the Alberta electorate decided that the uh, premier being called a threat to democracy uh, wasn't a particular particularly large deal for them. So 
you know, she is in some fashion cleaned of that sin. Carter, talk to me about cabinet. I'll stick with you. Anything she needs to do for, for this eventuality, we'll call it, we'll, you know, when she selects her first cabinet in here, anything that she needs to think about as it relates to the lens, singular lens, right? Let's go singular lens of survival, right? There's the politics of, but the singular lens of her own survival. Talk to me about. Well, I mean, I just think, I mean, and I don't really know enough about the individual MLAs. The I'll do some more study on that in the coming, coming weeks as we get closer coming days, I suppose, uh, as we get closer to a swearing in. Um, but what I would be doing is just trying to figure out how people, who are the most effective people, like who ran the best local campaigns, who's got the best uh, ground game. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be appointing people to cabinet because of their skills and capacity. I'd be appointing people to cabinet because of their ability uh, to protect me and to keep me in the uh, office that I've just won. And that means that they're going to be, you know, everybody's going to be a complicit in this and they're all going to be on my side and I will be on their side. This is part of the team building. This is part of, you know, you definitely do not want to put, like we put Doug Horner into finance. Um, don't, don't do that, Danielle. Do not put someone who will fuck you um, into one of the most important. Uh, a Horner has been elected. You could, you could have a Horner in finance again, if you want. <laughs> when haven't we have a Horner in, in finance? <laughs> <laughs> Horner and finance. That's that's sounds funnier than it is. It's, it's really, it's not very funny. No, I don't know why I'm giggling. Corey, anything on cabinet that she needs to think about? We talked heard- about this a bit on West of Center. I was on West of Center on Friday, and uh, and West of Center dot ca is where you access the yeah, podcast. Absolutely. No, actually, but West of Center ca is a place to get a quality podcast okay. for sure. You, oh yeah, to check it out. Okay, it's good. Yeah, uh, yeah. So. What I said there, and I believe, is it's kind of easy to tell who's going to be in cabinet. Like, you're going to be able to guess 80% of them if you sit down with their resumes, right? Like, oh, they're a pretty serious player. Oh, that seems like an individual who should be in cabinet. And, of course, you don't know the variable of how big the cabinet's going to be. But if you can ballpark in there, you'll get pretty close. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's a lot harder to tell who goes where. Uh, and it really depends on what Danielle Smith wants to focus on. So I think one of the fun things when a cabinet is is decided upon is we then get to read the tea leaves and say, what does this mean? Brian Jean being put in energy tells us one story. Brian Jean being put in injustice tells us a different story. Brian Jean being put in health tells us a third story still. And we'll get a sense of what Danielle Smith's governing priorities are and what she's looking to do in the next bit in part based on this cabinet. So I, I can't wait to see it, but I don't have a clue who she's going to put where. I, I mean, it's just so hard to do unless you happen to know exactly what she's thinking and how the wheels are turning. I mean, well, I, was, here's, here's a, I was working with a premier for months and when it got down to the final cabinet selections, I didn't know. Like there were, there were changes because she was thinking things that were different than the rest of the transition team. Yeah, totally. But let I'll me, bet you the, the list didn't change that much. Like the MLAs in question. Well, Corey, let me let me ask a more specific question. From the lens of survivability, you look at the Calgary candidates that she has, and, and remind me, guys, is it, about, is it a dozen? Dozen or so Calgary yeah. candidates? It might be 12. Exactly. So, and, and, and it's fair to say they're not the TBA crowd, right? For the sure. most part, at these Calgary folks. Would you oversample on Calgary, Carter? Or would you oversample on rural? When you look at her own survivability, this is kind of my more more specific question that I want to I've, ask, right? Like if you, if you have your kind of more moderate conservative folks that in today's light might even look a little red Tory to you, considering where the party might be going, and they're not, to be clear, uh, most of them. 
Would you oversample on them? Would you oversample on rural? How would you kind of look at that if, once again, your survivability is is what you look at this through? Carter, well, and then this Corey. is why I was joking that I think if I was Tyler Chandra, I would I'd ask them not to conduct a recount. You know, I'd just lose by six and be happy because I think that they're gonna she's gonna undersample on Calgary. Um, Calgary is not where the vast majority like this is a lesson I learned the hard way working with. Um, uh, Sandra, Sanders, uh, Jan- Sandra Jansen's campaign. When we saw the busloads of uh, kids from the private Catholic schools showing up, uh, we pretty much knew we were done for. Um, and that's what happens with the with the rural organizers. The rural organizers have a, a, a degree of strength that, that the, the urban organizers aren't going to have. And when that strength get, gets executed, um, it's going to be really hard like Danielle needs people to protect her from that or to needs to co-opt that. So I would think it would be undersampling. Um, but, you know, time will tell. Corey, any thoughts on that before we move on to the final sort of thing I wanted to ask her about, ask you guys about uh, what Danielle Smith may need to do over the summer? Well, I think if she's going to take a consistent approach here, she should dance with the people who brought her, which is the rural Albertans and the rural caucus. And so that's got to be the the kind of the bulk of her cabinet, in my opinion. It would be a bit hazardous to do otherwise. But of course, you're still fighting for Calgary and you're still fighting for Edmonton. So you're going to pick, obviously, Nate Glubish right on the edge of Edmonton. We'll get to be an Edmonton cabinet minister. You know, maybe Searle will get a nice promotion. Oh, I have him and get in to be in Service Alberta for sure. Searle well, and Service Alberta are two people made for, you know, like that's just, it's marriage made in heaven. Because it's such an exciting. I mean, could you imagine Searle doing an announcement about license plates? Oh, don't even tease me. <laughs> I can't. Didn't you? Actually, I know, right? Yeah. Was this on the yeah. Was this okay. on the pod or over lunch? I actually don't even remember. But I asked you guys if you're an, if if you're an up and coming. That was at lunch. Yeah, was lunch. yeah. I yeah. think that was at lunch. Yeah. yeah I, 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 right. We didn't record this because I wasn't talking about Alberta. But what what portfolio would you guys suggest to an up and comer and why? And you guys both said service. What have you said? And one of you like very strongly agreed. Yeah. yeah. Well, because. The way you framed it to us at this lunch, talk about a zag from where we're going, but the way you framed it at this lunch was, hey, I'm I'm like a junior cabinet minister. I want to build my portfolio and I want to build my profile. And I want to be something. something And so kind of baked into it was the idea that like you're not getting health. You're not getting finance. And and those are dangerous ones to begin with, by the way. I'm a rookie sort of thing. That was the phrasing. You're right. The point that we both made was service Alberta. Everybody has to work with you because it like it touches basically every other department. You generally get good news announcements. You get baby names. You get to talk about like the new driver's license. You get shit like that, right? Unless something goes horribly amok with kind of one government experience. Anybody from government will know what I'm talking about there. But, uh, you know, it's it's not such a bad one to allow you to network, to be out there, to build that profile, to do the things you want to do if you want to go from junior cabinet minister to more senior cabinet minister. Carter, I'm going to ask you this last sort of thing around Daniel Smith in the summer, and it's going to happen relatively quickly. Um, how important is? Go ahead, Corey. You want to jump in on something? Yeah, I mean, I never actually finished my my oh, point. I'm not analyst. I don't give a shit. I'm just moving yeah. on. I don't care if you'd yeah. answer the question or not. So, majority of cabinets going to have to come from rural. 
But yeah. I think that there is probably a need to put some marquee cabinet ministers in Calgary. So look at Rebecca Schultz, probably getting a nice job. Demetrius Nicolaitis, maybe getting a promotion, maybe not. You know, Advanced Ed's a pretty good portfolio too. But I, I would imagine there's going to be a few you can point to that are ministers you hear from all of the time that will be from Calgary because Calgary will sort of demand it. Especially with, you know, a dozen MLAs is not an insignificant number of MLAs. And there's there's kind of a lesson here. Joey Smallwood was the premier of Newfoundland when it joined Confederation, right? And um, there was a, you know, obviously Newfoundland was going to need to have, when they elected a couple of liberal MPs, somebody in cabinet. And uh, Joey Smallwood, being very practical, said, well, just give them like one of the junior secretary of state positions, because most people are familiar with the American system. Secretary of state seems really senior, but it's actually pretty junior. Like there are levers you can pull like that, where it's like, sounds like a big job, not actually doing a ton in that role. And I expect Calgary will get an outsized number of those ministries. Carter, I'm going to start this last one with you. Sure. Staff. Huh? How important are staff? You just talked about how uh, you just talked about like, listen, my advisors are bullshit. Fuck my advisors. Fuck my pollsters. You are the heartbeat. OK, barring all of that, how important are staff and how strategic should she be about thinking about staff, i.e. staff from other teams, staff from different sort of political dispositions on the entire conservative family? Does she go in court to one side of it? Does she bring people from out? of town? talk to me about your philosophy, I guess, more specifically, rather than the exact people, right? right. right. Let's not name names. Anybody. Let's just talk about the philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk philosophy here. If you're Daniel Smith, and once again, I'll put this on the table, survivability is the goal. One team, one vision. One, you know, so whatever the, the team is put together, you need to have one team, one vision. So when I had my senior staff, I had two deputy chiefs of staff. I had myself and that we didn't have a principal secretary, but let's assume that there is a principal secretary. Let's assume that there's an issues manager because that's a new thing since since I was there. Um, we're all aligned. Whatever one of the five of us or the six of us that are the senior levels, whatever one of us is with the premier at any point gives the answer for the team, not gives the answer for themselves, right? Um, I ran into a problem where where Allison was getting feedback from her EA that was different than feedback from her senior staff. Now, normally that wouldn't be a problem because normally the the premier or the first minister would be listening to their, you know, their senior staff. In this case, Allison didn't listen to the senior staff. So, you know, we need to have one voice and Corey will know this from, from uh, the civil service side. As soon as there's multiple voices, everything just grinds to a halt because who are we taking our instructions from? Now we got to go and wait for the premier to weigh in on everything. And there's a lot of things. So, one voice, senior staff, when they're speaking with the premier, when they're speaking with the, uh, the, um, the, the deputies, one voice. Yeah, I couldn't, could not agree more. Here's the thing. We're not saying it's groupthink. We're not saying there's not disagreements in the staff ranks, but we're saying that everybody has the same mission, right? Everybody is driving towards the same point. Everybody is willing to lay down on the ground on hot coals 
for the premier. Uh, it's so important. You know, t- you, you talk about bringing in opponents, you talk about building out coalitions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You do that shit with ministers. You don't do that shit with staff. You trust your staff. You need to trust your staff. Your mm-hmm. staff need to be on the same team. And frankly, the minute you find yourself having to do that with staff, I think is is a bad moment for you when you're a premier because that's when shit starts going awry. That means all of a sudden your apparatus, your power as premier has been diminished because your power is executed through your staff. Right, Your staff are the ones that make you look like a genius in a speech and make sure you're there on time and are doing all of the meetings to coordinate people and make sure that everybody feels like the premier is giving them the love. And so the less that you have your people in staff, the less authority you have as premier. And you see it get diminished and eroded over time as people start saying, you got to bring in this person, you got to bring in that person, you got to bring in this other person. Do I, if I'm premier? Well, if I do, that probably means my power as premier is not as big as it was the day before. Yeah. Carter, is this concept of staff from out of town overblown? Like they don't have domestic knowledge, they don't understand Alberta. It's so idiosyncratic. Like it's it, or is is the end of the day? It's like who gives a shit? Like if if they work well with the the principal, if they work with well with that person and they got their trust, I don't give a fuck where they're from. What's your take on? Well, this? anybody who comes in from out of town is going to have a, a harder hill to climb uh, with getting people to trust them in town, but. Anybody from in town has a hard hill to climb with getting people to trust them from in town because it's not like, you know, you don't come in with baggage. I mean, my baggage was I wasn't known. I mean, you could all the baggage still exists, even if. if Are you serious? You like, I don't know if you're being facetious there. So I'm actually going to interrupt you and be like, you weren't. I wasn't known when, when I went in with Redford. The PCs didn't know me. People didn't. I mean, I come from I mean, I, I never attended a PC event. I, I mm. ran a PC leadership and won and never had given money to the party. I, I don't even think I knew that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I knew that either. That's why like, I wasn't sure if you're just bullshitting no, me. No, I mean, so, so imagine and, imagine that you've well, never well, gone what, to... What issue did that have on your credibility? Yeah, Actually, I'm not I've curious. Never what to, issue did that have on your credibility? I've never gone to Robin Campbell's fundraiser, you know, in Hinton. I've never given him 150 bucks of my own hard-earned cash. You know, I don't have that relationship with Dave Hancockson's dirt, you know, where... Dave Hancock's a frat brother with Randy Dawson, right? Like literally a frat brother. Like it's a different relationship. They've come up together. They Mm. own the same relationships for a hundred years. And I'm coming in as the guy who was like, oh, I can't believe Thank God Klein left and fucking Stelmax a disaster. And I'm coming in and I'm not of the family. And Stephen Shapiro, who was my deputy, was last there in 1993. Um, you know, and, and, you know, and then Alan McDonald, we hired from, uh, Mars team and to her never ending credit, she was, uh, she was a team player, jumped right on our team, right from the, right from the get go. Hmm. That's so interesting. Corey, any comments you might have on, on staff or as philosophy, as a philosophy, yeah. like the one team stuff you've kind of mentioned, but like anything else related to like how Daniel Smith in particular might need to think about this. The trust element is, is interesting that you mentioned, like you don't do that with the staff team. You, you shelve out the whole, you know, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin thing around a team of rivals, Lincoln stuff to your, 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 uh, your ministers. You don't do that with staff team. Any final thoughts on this before we kind of move it on? Yeah. Staff, I just really want to underline, is an extension of you. So you need you to trust you. Uh, But when we start talking about building a staff, especially if you are coming in and you didn't necessarily have control of the party in the same way, yeah, inevitably you're going to need to go look further afield. You're going to need to find experts from different provinces, maybe even from different countries. And that's fine. 
I think that they bring uh, probably deep functional expertise that enrich most premier's offices. And also, they will not have the same blind spots as the people who've been there as true believers all the way along the way. It's useful to have a couple of cynics who say, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? What are Mm. we doing? Is this what was actually happening right now? As long as they continue to be on the same mission, right? Again, disagreement's healthy, disagreement's good. You just want to make sure you're all on the same side. The, um, the, the, a team made entirely of people from away, though, is going to suffer from some pretty immense challenges. And mm. so you do need to make sure you have some of that on the ground, almost corporate expertise, what it means to be involved in politics in Alberta. There are just things you're not otherwise going to catch. And um, you will find yourself maybe recommending a name for a budget that's been used by a very ominous budget 20 years ago, right? Or or something like that. Like, you just need to have some of that history when you're in a premier's office too. So generally, I recommend a mix, insider, outsider. I would recommend that in any corporate environment too. Some promotion from within, some external hires. Diversity of viewpoints is good. This is just another example of where you want to be thinking about diversity of viewpoints. I've got one follow up on this and I wasn't going to, but it's now Corey's mentioned something that that piques my interest. Carter, we usually don't see the campaign manager find themselves in the premier's office. I think you were a rarity, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, that you were like one of the few guys. And, and maybe because like we haven't seen it since that like tandem relationship, like the campaign manager of uh, was Rod Love and Ralph Klein, like they, you know, attached yeah. at the hip. Of course, he was going to be his principal advisor. I'm kind of curious your thoughts on that. Like the campaign manager, very different set of skills or campaign director, whatever they're called in in each of these parties, finding themselves in the premier's office. Any reflections on that and the core competencies? The reason I ask is to make a finer point on it. Over lunch, you and I were kind of discussing the campaign strategist role inside the premier's office. We've seen that happen in the United States and other jurisdictions. We don't necessarily see it labeled as that within the premier's office i'm just kind of curious if you have any reflections on that in the modern reality and um and and who and and what you'd be kind of looking for to occupy that positioning well and i will move on i think that the campaign should not be run from the premier's office so if you're asking a campaign manager to run the campaign then you need to put them from the party office but and I'm talking about as a reward after the campaign or as a, as a landing spot after well, the campaign. I don't know. Totally I'm not clear. calling it a reward, but I think that in some cases it makes perfect sense to bring the the campaign manager in. Uh, in other cases, it doesn't. The 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 the, the mm-hmm. you know the the rap I've been given is that I don't know how to govern, right? And that's bullshit. I totally know how to govern. The problem is I want to move at campaign speeds, um, and and those two things mm-hmm. are fundamentally different and it can sometimes work really well when you have a thing that you wish to drive through very quickly that can get done i mean especially the provincial government i'm watching you know we're going to have a loud car ban in calgary sometime within the next year and i'm like man if we were doing this in in the public service in uh the province of alberta we'd have it in 15 minutes like the public service is super at the uh, at the provincial level, they are amazing, and they make the uh, city of Calgary look like a bunch of yokels. But the you, you can't run at that speed. You can't run that all the time with the bureaucrats and a campaign manager style person may may try to run the the thoroughbreds a little too hard. That's a very good insight. Very good insight, Corey. Anything to add on that? And, and I'll move on right after this. Well, I I do think that government takes a certain amount of patience, and um and that's why it's not always a, a 
a nice transposition of skills the way somebody might hope. And let's be really clear, there are some skill overlaps between needing to be a senior strategist, a, a campaign director, and running a premier's office. You've got a lot of things moving. You got to keep them coordinated. You got to keep people motivated. You got to go. But yeah, there are different intersections. There are different interfaces and government's different. Government's very different. And it's hard to run at speed for four years. I always think about campaigns as something that's built to last for 28 days. And it's built to be as big of a spectacle as possible. So for 28 days, it's just got to work. And you are trying to get all eyeballs on you. Government's a little different. Government is built to be durable. It's supposed to last for decades, centuries, you know, generations we talk about when we talk about building government systems. You think that's a joke? We're still using magnetic reel-to-reels for our healthcare records from like the 70s, or at least we were when I was last in government a couple of years ago. But I'm pretty confident they're still there because government's fucking slow sometimes, right? But it's slow because those things are supposed to last and work and always work and move forward. And government is not always about making a spectacle. One of the things you need to be able to do in government is you need to take a spectacle and turn it into absolutely nothing. And while that is a campaign skill, it's not the primary campaign skill. It might actually be the primary skill in government. So they are different. Mm -hmm. That's really well said. I'm going to leave that segment there. Moving on to our final segment. Stephen Carter are over under our lightning round. Oh, you know, just a quick hour 15 on two topics. Everybody's just, so glad to have you in Welcome here. back, in Zane. Just, just, doing a tight, <laughs> yeah. just doing a tight <laughs> hour 15. Stephen Carter, overrated, underrated in your mind. Daniel Smith having no MLAs in Edmonton as a political problem, as a strategy problem, as a governance problem. Flash forward the next four years as your timeline. How big of a problem is this overrated, underrated that she has no one? Underrated. I mean, Edmonton. overrated. I just don't think that it's going to matter that much to her. And uh, I mean, she, to Corey's point, she won the election. That was what she was after. Corey, the problem, overrated, underrated to you. In terms of governing over the next four years, overrated. I also think the thing about Edmonton is unlike Calgary, there are you know areas outside of Edmonton that are population centers, such as Sherwood, uh, uh, Sherwood, Sherwood Park. Park. I wanted yes. to say Sherwood Forest so badly there. And uh and Stony Plain, and St. Albert. And while they don't have St. Albert, they do have those other two that I mentioned here. And that allows you to get, or have representation, at least parts of it, in the case of Sherwood Park. And that allows you to, um, that allows you to sort of build something out, right? That allows you to say, ah, it's kind of Edmonton-ish, and you've got the Edmonton representation. And the other reality is, they only had one seat going into it. They lost one seat in Edmonton. It's yeah. not the end of the world for the UCP in four years. In the longer term, to not be competitive in one third of the seats, like the rough one thirds we do here, mm-hmm. that's a problem. And the UCP do need to think about how they get their way back into the city of Edmonton because they've been frozen out for a while at this point. Uh, Corey, do I have uh, just a veto to create products in the strategist store? Because I want Sherwood Forest to be a nice <laughs> men's fragrance that people can buy over the, over the summer. That's great. Yeah, you know, like after after those. That's great. Those I just I don't know <laughs> if we have a fragrance fragrance uh, provider, but I'll look into it. Yeah, please. Doesn't I don't care what it smells like, yeah. just as long as it's called <laughs> Sherwood Forest. I feel like that's very classy, Carter. I think it's classy. I'm in, uh, Carter. I always say yes. Yeah, you, of course. Of course, you're in, uh, Carter. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you on this one. Um, Jagmeet Singh, let's talk about this very quickly. He's defending his party's decision not to include biting orders in its foreign interference motion, which called for David Johnson to step down a special rapporteur, uh, saying that an election does not make sense if the goal is protecting Canada's democracy. 
Are you in or are you out on Jagmeet Singh's sort of strategy here? And I'm going to put strategy in air quotes because you can kind of tell where I'm. Yeah. Can we, um, can we just stop the question a couple of words earlier? Am I in or am yeah. I out on Jagmeet Singh? I am out. Well, I'm um, out on Jagmeet okay. Singh. I have been out on Jagmeet Singh uh, since the last election. I I didn't agree with this um, co-mingling or whatever the heck they've done. The, the, the agreement between the liberals and the NDP. And, and he's made it actually worse. Worse. Uh, it's unbelievable. He just keeps getting worse. So, yes, right. I do not agree with his strategy. Corey, I'm going to assume you're out as well. So um, let me just save you your breath, unless you're totally in for some weird reason. What's What advice would you give him, knowing that this is his current line right now? Well, it's not a very tenable situation here. And I actually think even from a politics point of view, why would you take the gun off the table uh, in terms of when an election might be? I think you say, I, I expect some changes. I, and it does, if that means an election, that means an election. I'm, he's got to find a way to revisit the question. So the minute something else happens on this particular file, no matter how small, he should say, well, now my feelings entirely changed. And now everything's up for grabs again. And here's why. He should he should extract himself from his current position yesterday. Corey, I'm going to start this last You mean like leader of the you. NDP? Because that's what I was meaning oh. when I said... <laughs> I was meaning his position on David oh, okay. Johnson. Okay, we're a little and, off. You know, okay, calling we're, an election okay. or not. Yeah. We've got different positions. Boy, you said the magic words there, David Johnson. It's June 4th. July 4th, one month from now, when the United States of America celebrates its 247th birthday, Corey, will David Johnson be holding the title of Special Rapporteur, or will he have sent a letter saying, I'm done, this is over, I'm at your disposal if you need me? But it's clear that I don't have the con. Pretty much the words you'd put in that letter. One month from now, David Johnson, special rapporteur, yes or no, Corey? Um, well, I'm obviously going to do exactly the opposite. Yes of what or Steve no, says. Corey? So whatever I say, yes or no, whatever Corey? I say in the next thirty Why'd seconds lose, Corey? here. Why'd you lose? Why'd you lose, Corey? Why'd you lose? Why'd you <laughs> whatever lose? Whatever I say in, in these 2012, next thirty seconds, you didn't win the election. Two thousand twelve. Yes no, what happened? Victory's contextual. It was there. Victory's contextual. It was there. It was there. <laughs> Uh, yes, he he will be special rapporteur and I'll tell you why he will be because I just don't see another trigger point between now and then that, you know, unless Singh dramatically revisits some of his previous positions. Carter, special rapporteur, July 4th, 247th year for the United States of America. David Johnson, still their special rapporteur. Zane, I'm not sure if you followed the strategist podcast over the last month, Okay, but our, our, our prediction game has not been good. <laughs> I went five for seven in my AFL predictions. I did not go five for seven in my predictions for this election. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I am no longer in the prediction game. I don't make predictions. Don't count on my predictions. Don't ask me for predictions, but David Johnson will be gone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1071 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Veltri. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.